Now we're studying together the book of Ecclesiastes, and it is concerning one subject. You see, we believe that the book of Ecclesiastes is a book that God has given to us. It's not the natural wisdom of man. It's the word of God for us concerning life today. This book is not to show somebody how to go to heaven or the experience of eternal life. It's telling us how to live our lives walking under the sun with Jesus Christ. That's what this book is all about. Now last week in our study, we began the uh, portion of the second ex second message of the book, which has to do with God's sovereign control of life under the sun. And we saw, first of all, last week, that God is in control of life under the sun. We saw, first of all, that He has, he controls his life. He uh, works all things according to the counsel of his own will and will has appointed times and seasons for our lives on this earth. We then notice that he gave man his life under the sun. That is, he gave us a task. You remember the question. The question in verse 9, will you look at it, please? Chapter 3 and verse 9. What profit is there to the worker from that in which he toils? If God has pre-planned all of our times and seasons, what then do I have to do about it? Actually, uh, since he's got it all planned out, he's going to work it all out, why, I might just, just as well follow my own chemistry, do my own thing, get my own kicks, and let his great plan roll on. We saw something else. He answers that question beginning with verse 10. And he says to us in verse 10, if you look at it, I have seen the task which God has given the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. Certainly, God is in control and has planned our times and our season. But you know, we're not in the hands of blind fate, the cold calculations of scientific determinism even. We're in the hands of God, who in his great omniscience knows everything. He knows how to give us our freedom and use us and use our freedom to the accomplishment 
of his own great purpose. He is omniscient. He is omnipotent. The freedom of man does not threaten him. He knows how to control us and use us and carry on his work through us. And so in his great plan, he has given to us our task. We saw this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is a great fact. God has the times and seasons in his control. And God has each one of us in control. And he has planned for us a task to do upon this earth. And he has given to us this task to do for him. And we now are free to move and to perform this task in the way that he would have us do. Now last week, the clock ran out on us, you'll remember. And we came to verse 11. And I want you to pick it up with me there this morning. Because in verse 11, he tells us the second thing that he wants us to see. He says, he has made everything appropriate in its time. You notice that word, appropriate? You have the King James Version. You'll notice that it says he has made everything beautiful in its time. If you'll turn with me, please, to chapter 5 of the book and look at verse 18. There we read, here is what I have seen to be good and fitting. That word translated fitting is the same word translated appropriate here or beautiful as it is in the King James. It's a very interesting word. It's the word used for the beauty of Sarah, the beauty of Rebecca, the handsome figure of Absalom in the Bible. It is the word. You know, I heard my son-in-law use it in a very appropriate way one day when we were watching a basketball game. And the team just got that ball and moved it down court. They flipped the ball one to the other. They ran, and suddenly one of the men moved in very quickly under the basket. Another fellow threw the ball right to him. He caught it in midair and plopped it into the basket. And my son-in-law said, beautiful man, beautiful. <laughs> and that's the exact meaning of the word. Not static beauty. The word pictures a beauty in motion, fitting perfectly as it moves along. That is what he says. God, who plans our times and our seasons, promises that he will make our lives beautiful. Paul says the same thing over in the book of Romans. Turn with me, please, to the 8th chapter of the book of Romans. A very familiar verse. 
but one that we need to remind ourselves about every single day. Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And if you are trusting the Lord Jesus Christ this morning as your personal Savior, God has called you into that faith, and he is building the love of God in your heart for his Son. And he promises you that he will control the times and the seasons of your very life and will cause all things to work together for your good. He will make all things beautiful in your life. Now careful, please. He does not promise that he's going to make everything comfortable for you. You remember the list. There are times of mourning as well as times for dancing. There are times for weeping as well as times for laughing. There's times for losing as well as times for gaining. You see, God uses all the experiences. What he says is that he's going to keep all of these, his hand in complete control of the times and seasons of your life so that he is going to make of you a person that is beautiful. For that's what he's talking about if you look back here in verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Have you ever noticed that? That's God's great goal for you. And you shall be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. You know, our Lord loves the world, but supremely he loves his Son. And when God wants to talk about his love for the world, he talks about his giving his Son. Because God loves the Son. And he wants all of us who belong to the Son to become like the Son. That's the heart's desire of God. Now Jesus is so wonderful. He's so beyond comparison. There's no way that any one of us can ever be completely like him. But he begins his work in you, and he carries on his work in you, and he keeps on working in you, and he carries on his ministry in you and in me, and he makes each one of us as much like Jesus as our personalities can possibly be. And then when he takes us all to glory and puts us all together, we all of us will be a demonstration of the beauty of Christ for all eternity. He is making all things beautiful. And he promises you that he will take and control your times and your seasons as a young man, as a middle-aged person, as a sickly person, as a healthy person, he will take and keep each one of us in control and make us into the image of his Son. He does all things beautiful in our life.
That's what he promises. That's what he'll do. That's the hope that should fill each one of our hearts. And that's what the Koalith wants us to see. God is controlling our times to make us, in the image of Christ, beautiful in the eyes of God. He has one other thing to say. If you look at that verse, please, verse 11, he says, He has also set eternity in their heart, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. That's the third thing he wants us to see. He has put eternity in our hearts. That word eternity, it's over in verse 14, you'll notice it's translated there. In verse 14, for he has, pardon me, I got the wrong chapter, chapter 3 and verse 14. I know that everything God does will remain, what? Forever. That's the same word. That's the same word. It's translated world in the King James, but that's one place you have to scratch off the King James is wrong. The word is eternity. It's that great word he used over in the book of Exodus and in chapter 3 of Exodus where he gave his great name, I am that I name am. And he said, this is my name forever. That's the word he says. He has put eternity into our hearts. You see, man is the only being on earth that God has created that has a concept of immortality. Wherever man is found, you find him with the sense of eternity, the sense that death is not going to end at all, He's going on to live. He doesn't know how or what or where or why, but he has that sense of eternity within him. In his physical structure, in his bodily functions, in his susceptibility to disease, man resembles the animal. But he is distinct because he thinks about eternity. That's the way man is. Now God, on the other hand, is eternal. God exists in the total of time and eternity. With God, there's no such a thing as a time to do this and a time to do that. He sees and lives in all of time and all of eternity as an immediate present. He sees the whole gamut of eternity as one great panoramic view in which he is living and active at every time. He is there presently today. God is eternal. But man, man has the sense of eternity. But he is, he is locked into time. And he sees time. And he sees eternity one day at a time. 
That's the way man has been built. God is eternal. Eternity is an ever-present reality with him every moment of his life. You and I, we sense eternity past. We sense eternity future. But we live it one day at a time. And that's why he says to us here, if you look at that verse again, he said, although we have eternity in our hearts, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning even to the end. None of us can look at the past and say that's the way it really was. None of us can look into the future and say that's the way it's going to be. We're locked into one day at a time. Our knowledge of the past is hazy. Even the greatest historian, it's hazy to him. And our knowledge of the future is only an educated guess. We're locked into one day at a time. But we have a sense of eternity. You know, I used to own a kaleidoscope. You know, one of those little gadgets you, with colored glass inside of them, and you look into it, and you see beautiful forms and patterns that are made. And you turn the kaleidoscope and flip, a new pattern comes on. You turn it again and flip, a new pattern comes on. My kaleidoscope got bumped one day. And when I would turn it, I'd get a beautiful pattern. I'd turn it again, I'd get a mucky pattern. I'd turn it, and then for some reason, nobody knows, it came back to another, a different beautiful pattern. But no matter how many times I turn that kaleidoscope, I could never turn it into a fashion where all of its beautiful shapes would appear at one time. The only thing I could do was turn them and take it one picture at a time. God, in his infinite greatness, could see all of the pictures at one time. He is eternal. But I'm locked into time, and all I can see is the picture of one day at a time. That's what God wants us to see. He has given us this sense of eternity, but he has given us this task that we're to do one day at a time. Is life profitable? That's the question he asks. The answer, you can't see it now. Now you see some beauty. Now you see some muckiness. Now you experience what which is pleasant. Then you experience that which is unpleasant. And thus life goes one day at a time. But God sees it all. And he who sees it all gives you and gives me this blessed assurance that when all the turning is done, it's going to be beautiful. Life is beautiful. When God completes his work, we'll all see it and we'll realize that it's beautiful, just as he said, just as he meant. And then he moves on. And in verse 12, 
you look at it there, he points out to us, excuse me, life is to be enjoyed by men in doing good. Look at it. I know, he says, that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor, for it is the gift of God. That's what he wants us to see. He wants us to realize that he is controlling the times and the seasons of our lives. And now, he says, what I want you to do is I want you to rejoice in this life and to go on doing the good that I gave you to do. What does that mean? Well, let's use an example. Here's a man. The lot has fallen to him so that he is a mechanic. He gets up at 6 o'clock in the morning. He takes his shower, gets rid of the grime and so forth, gets himself shaved and all ready, and he goes to the shop. And they give him a part of an automobile to work on. And he works on that and repairs it. Then they, they come along and they give him another part of an automobile to work on. And he works on that and repairs it. And they bring him another one and he works on that and repairs it. And they bring him another one and he works on that and repairs it. Five o'clock. He closes the shop. He goes home and his wife meets him at the door and says, Honey, there's something broken. Will you repair it? <laughs> See? He goes back to the shop the next morning and they give him another part to repair and another part to repair and another part to repair and another part to repair. And you say, life's beautiful? I remember asking my dad. He worked in an airplane factory and they made one part of a certain motor and he made that part day in and day out there on his bench. And I asked him one time, I said, Dad, how do you stand at working on the same part? And he gave me the answer that the Koalev gives here. He said, son, he said, I make that part according to the specifications demanded, and I see to it that that part is made right. I don't fool around. I don't finagle. I don't cut it short. I don't try to make it easy. He says, I do it right so that when that part leaves my bench to go to the next man's bench, that part is good. And my dad clicked into focus with those words. He was doing what the Word of God says. He was enjoying life by doing good. Now, you can shortchange all you want. You know, you are the mechanic. You don't have to make that part real good. Who's going to find it out until the guy gets 50 miles down the road? You can finagle it if you want. You can short it out if you want. You don't have to really pay attention there. You're working away. You can think about something else instead of your job. Go ahead. But with it will come the unease, the feelings of frustration, the feelings of meanness that comes into a soul who does not do what is good, and that destroys the joy of life. But do it God's way. Do your job and do it good. Because it's a gift of God to you. And God says you will enjoy life.
He says something else. He says we are to rejoice. And remember what Paul said to us, rejoice in the Lord. And again I say, rejoice. The way to live this life is to realize that God is in control of the times. If God wants you to make that part, he'll make that part. The mechanic that I'm talking about said to me, he says, I know that when that man, when the boss of the shop moves over and hands me a job, that's the one that God, from the beginning of time, intended for me to do. And therefore, I must do it well. When you look at life this and we see it, every part of it is like that, and we can fit it into it, and then we rejoice in God. My friend, there is the secret of a joyous experience upon the earth. And then he adds one more thing in that verse, if you look at it, please. There in verse 13, moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all of his labor. Yes. My dad, at the end of his week, at the end of his, his week, they, brought, they gave him a paycheck, and he brought that paycheck home. The first part of that paycheck went to the Lord. Part of that paycheck was used to help others, and the rest of that paycheck he used to enjoy himself, and he never felt guilty about it. That's what God says to do. He says, take that which I give you, out of your labor. You do your labor good. I've given it to you. Do it for me and do it good. Give to me that which is mine. Give to others that what they need and take the rest and eat and enjoy it for that's my plan for your life. That's what he said. Don't feel guilty about it. Enjoy it. That's the way life really is. That's what life, he says, is all about. And then he moved on to the next thing. He points out to us that life under the sun is the product of God. Life under the sun is the product of God. Look at verse 15, or rather verse 14 and 15. Look at it. I know that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it, and there is nothing to take from it. For God has so worked that men should fear him. That which is has been already, and that which will be has already been. For God sees what has passed by. Three precious truths are in these verses. The first is, we must realize that our life on this earth is the work of God through us. There's a song that we sing, or at least a poem that we quote. I don't remember which. It says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's beautiful. But may I point out to you there's another way of saying that that is a little more accurate. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what Christ does through us will last. You know, we men, 
We've got to upstage everybody, don't we? We even have to upstage God. Only what I do for God will last. Bless, bless. What I do? What God does is forever. What does he ask of me? I beseech you, by my mercies, present your body to me. Let me live in you. As the Apostle Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I go on living, yet it is not I, but Christ living in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Christian life is not what I do for God. The Christian life is letting God, who has controlled the times and the seasons and is working out all things beautifully and has given to me my task, whatever that task may be, whether it's a great task or a humble task, who cares? God has given it to me. And God says, I want to work through you. I want to be in control of your body while you're putting that carburetor together and cleaning it out and making it work. I want to be with you as you're typing there on that machine and typing that letter. I want to be with you as you're producing this piece of work. I want to be as you're working on that patient. I want to be the one working through you as you are dealing and counseling with somebody. I want to be with you as you are relating and having fun with other people and enjoying their lives and building into their lives. I want to be with you as you're teaching the Word of God. I want to be with you as you're doing this. I want to work through you because what I do is for eternity. And the Christian life is letting God control us and use us and work through us. And he has promised to do that very thing. That's why in that verse, if you'll notice, please, in verse 14, he points out something here. He says, I know that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it, and there is nothing to take from it. And when we mess up our lives, it's when we try to add to what God's doing. What God does is for eternity. When we try to put our two cents worth in, we boil it up every time. But he says we can't add anything to it. We can't do anything about it. But for God so worketh that men should fear him. He is the one whom we are to respect. We are to have a healthy respect for him as the source of all life, the source of all strength, the one who is working in and through us. In him we move. In him we have our being. Yes, Paul says, we are workers together with God. But he never intimates for one moment that we are buddies with God. God is God. And we walk with a healthy respect for him. And we submit to him. And we let him control. When he moves this into our lives, we don't say why. We may say why, because God's perfectly willing to communicate with us but sometimes we can't understand him. He says, let me, just trust me. 
Rest in me. Fear me. I'm the one that's doing this. Put your confidence in me. Walk by faith in me. And then he gives us that final thing. Will you look at it in that verse? It's difficult to understand. For it says there in, in verse 15, that which is has been already, and that which will be has already been. For God seeks what has passed by. Those last few words in that verse are very difficult to understand. God seeks what has passed by. What does it mean? The King James says, God requires that which is past. One of the great Hebrew scholars has translated it, God seeks out him who is persecuted. The Living Letters puts it, God brings to pass again what was in the distant and past and disappeared. The word that is translated there is the word referring to that which has been rejected, that which has been discarded, that which has been persecuted. And what are they trying to say? Well, I can only tell you what I believe it says. Searching it out as best I know how. I got a great joy as I looked at this. Because, dear ones, as I live my life, day by day walking with Jesus, as I come to the end of every day and I look back, even on the best days, the days when I did things right, you know what I had to say? Hey, Harold, look at that. Look at that. Hey, man, you blew it. How could you be so stupid? And God is looking at me. And he is saying, Harold, I controlled your time and your seasons. I know what's in your life that needs to be rejected. I know what's in your life that needs to be pushed away. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, I will cleanse you. But I will take all of those experiences because I control the times and your seasons. If you'll let me work through you, if you'll let me live through you, I will control the whole thing. And I'll work it out. And I'll make it beautiful. Numbers, chapter 23. Will you turn there, please? The 23rd chapter of Numbers. And will you look for just a moment at verse 19. Numbers 23. Verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he not said, and will he not do it? Has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Do you believe that? Do you believe that? 
He says, I give you your tales. I control your times. I'll give you your task. I'll make it beautiful. You can't see it now, but I see the whole picture. You don't understand it. You only see the present, but I see it all. And I promise you that you will see it as beautiful when you reach the day when it is completed and you see it. What I have said, I will do it. Do you believe me? Do you trust me? And I look up and say, yes, God, I believe you and I trust you, but I know myself. I know I'm sinful. I know I, I blow it every once in a while. I know I sin, Lord. And God says, yes, but the blood of Jesus Christ, my son, cleanses you from all sin and he that confesses his sin is I am faithful and just to forgive us to forgive your sin I'll forgive it I'll wash it away I'll discard it and I will take of it that which will make it beautiful in your life I promise you do you trust me I have promised will I not do it are you ready to trust me Oh, God, give us, help our unbelief and give us faith in you. As day by day we walk, we can't see the whole picture. All that we can see is what you've given us. And as day by day we, we walk, we cry out to you, Lord. And we commit our bodies to you. And we commit ourselves to you. And we thank you that our times and our seasons are in your hands. We thank you for the promise that you'll make all things beautiful. We accept the task you've given us. Sometimes we grumble and complain under the task, Lord, but we accept it as from you. We know that you're in control. And, oh, God, we pray that you'll take each one of us. Thank you for the forgiving power of the blood of Christ. Thank you for your presence and work in our lives. And we commit ourselves to you. Help our unbelief. Help us to walk by faith in the one who has said it and will therefore do it in Jesus' precious and wonderful name. Amen.